out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. It's P.I.'s Declassified. Today's topic is a serious one. We're going to be talking about parental abductions. These are the parents who kidnap their children from their custodial parent. Well, in Australia, over 100 children each year are taken by their non-custodial parent. It's the highest rate per capita in the world. And in the United States, the Department of Justice reports non-custodial parents are responsible for kidnapping hundreds, if not thousands, of children every year. And then British officials report one British child abducted every couple of days. So as cross-cultural, biracial, and inter-country marriages have become more and more common, the child is often removed um, from their, even from their home country. Today I have Australian private investigator Keith Shafarius as my guest. Keith has dedicated his career to retrieving abducted children from all over the world and returning them to their court-ordered custodial parent. So just a little bit about Keith. Uh, after he served in the Royal Australian Air Force, he spent a, spent a brief time as a motel and restaurant owner out on Australia's Gold Coast. And then he decided to switch gears and become a private investigator. So now, four decades later, actually four plus decades later, uh, Keith is Australia's longest active private investigator license holder. As a member of the World Association of Detectives, um, Keith has developed relationships throughout the world through with other investigators, other detectives, private, um, and worked out a network that he can work on these parental abductions. He developed International Detective Services into one of, that's his company, into one of Australia's most high-profile investigation businesses. And he's become known as an international specialist in non-custodial parental abductions and child recovery. Um, he's often risked his life. He once was even jailed. Um, but he sold his business in 2004 and continues to be a consultant for the business, and he continues also to handle cases for a number of international clients. In 2008, Harper Collins International approached him to chronicle his PI, his crazy PI adventures, and then he wrote The Retriever, a book about the recovery of abducted children, and was released uh, in 2010. A second book, drawn from his 
files will be released this year. And then he has a very exciting project on the horizon. Keith's career caught the attention of a movie company, and he now has a contract to produce 13-part TV miniseries dramatizing his great, fascinating cases from his lengthy career. So good morning, Keith. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Francie. Nice to be with you. It's great, and I appreciate you being up at 3 o'clock in the morning, Australian time, to participate in this show. It's Thank you so much. That's no problem at all, Francie. So, um, Keith, how did you – well, first of all, how did you get involved in the private investigation business? How did that start? It's quite a shift from most started uh, with my career. Yeah. It was. Uh, most of my career in the Air Force was intelligence and uh, military police. And then I spent almost a year with our Australian intelligence organisation, ASIO. And uh, in the late 1960s, I set up my own private investigation business. Yeah. And so then... In so how- that, uh, yeah, that, that established. And did you just open up an agency and... And start gathering clients. And how did that? How did that work? It was more or less that uh, I did have a partner, an ex-state uh, police officer at the time, and we opened up a business and just started uh, touting for business, contacting law firms, insurance companies, and back at that stage, there was a requirement for evidence of adultery with divorce, and that took up quite a large part of the business. Uh, gathering that evidence, but thank heavens that no longer exists in Australia. Mm-hmm. And then how did you get into this child retrieval segment of the business? Well, it just came about uh, more by chance. Uh, I was contacted by a father in Australia from another state of Australia whose two children had been abducted and uh, taken from the state of Victoria to the state of Queensland. He asked me to find them and help him get them back, uh, which I did. It took some time, and he came to Queensland. We went to the school and collected the children from the school, and it was just the glee and the excitement on the children's faces that hadn't seen their father for several months and uh, so glad to be back with them, and I felt so happy for the children. I thought, well, I can continue to do this uh, and had some publicity and started getting cases in, and then in about 1974, I was contacted by a father whose children were taken to uh, Italy, Mm -hmm. to Genoa on the uh, west coast of Italy, and uh, had some more publicity, got that child, uh, children back, and it just sort of evolved with publicity, getting a case, getting a little bit of publicity in uh, magazines, in uh, women's magazines, and it started to snowball after a while. And uh, to date, I've brought back uh, uh, 40 or 50 uh, children from around the world, not all to Australia, but back to the United States, back to the UK and uh, various other parts of the world. Mm. Uh, that figure we mentioned earlier, 100 abductions in Australia, that's abductions that are taken out of Australia. But the total abducted in Australia is uh, you know, probably five or 600 that are taken from one state to another. Mm-hmm. Wow. So when, when you're contacted by a parent, what's the process you go through? Because I, I know you do some vetting on your own about whether this is the appropriate parent to have the ch- child. 
Well, that's correct. Uh, cases that come to me, I firstly take at face value and then I do my own due diligence and uh, accept about three out of five cases that come to me. But to make sure that morally I'm doing the right thing by the children, I'll go to uh, neighbours of pre previous addresses, I'll go to school teachers or their churches or Sunday schools, uh, have a look at court documents, find relatives and uh, just, <coughs> pardon me, just assess the, pardon me again, <coughs> Just assess that I am doing the right thing by the children and uh, not taking them from a, a parent that is probably the better parent, even though they have been abducted. Do you tell the person you're meeting with that you're going to do this due diligence? Yes, I do. So they're paying for that? <clears throat> yes, they pay a fee up front uh, mm -hmm. in most circumstances for uh, uh, that due diligence uh, search and I keep them up t updated all the way through. And quite often they're upset if I decide not to accept their case for uh, one reason or another. What are some of the reasons where you've re refused to take a case? Well, where there has been uh, abuse of the child by the uh, uh, the abducting parent. Uh, and in those cases, the child has probably been just taken for spite, mm -hmm. uh, not for the love of the child. Well, I believe that every child has the right to the love of both parents, but uh, if an abusing parent abducts the child, I certainly will not bring that child back. And to date, I've had so many letters and still continue to get cards and letters and calls from children I've brought back uh, 20 and 30 years ago. Uh, I get invited to their weddings, to their 21st birthday parties, mm. and uh, it's just great uh, to have that sort of contact from yeah. those children. Well, let me let me try to understand this because it sounds a little counterintuitive to me. So, if if the abducting, if the parent who's done the abduction is abusive, or the parent that is trying to get the child back is abusive. Uh, yeah, sorry, I didn't make that clear enough. The child, the parent who's trying to get the child back is abusive. Okay. Uh, and uh, the child has been taken uh, uh, by the other parent. So I would not bring a child back to a bad situation or uh, where it's going to be continually abused. Or, and even if that was supposedly, supposedly the court-ordered custodial parent? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I don't always uh, accept what the court orders. The court only gets to know one side of the story in most cases. Absolutely. The court has little power <laughs> when it's an inter, particularly an inter-country um, abduction. That's correct. Uh, when a child is taken to a Hague Convention country, the Hague Convention uh, for abducted children, there is a chance of getting those children back under that convention. But believe it or not, uh, current figures show that only 2.5%, a low figure of 2.5% of children taken to those countries are returned within a reasonable time. And what would you say are a is a re reasonable time? Well, with, within uh, three to six months. Okay. All right. Well, I want to talk about the Hague Convention because I'd like to get into that a little bit. But, yes. but um, j just when you're meeting with the parent, you're, you're, gonna, you're telling them that um, you need to do your due diligence on them. And then what else do you tell them? 
I will get back to them and then I need to uh, research the country where they've been taken to, uh, research contacts, the feasibility of getting them out of the country, uh, whether it's uh, you know, where there's borders uh, to cross or maybe uh, uh, cross the water to get them out uh, and just go over the whole scenario of getting those children back. Uh, provide a possible time frame and uh, naturally they they need to get uh, finances together and I've done three cases for absolutely no uh, financial gain at all just for out-of-pocket uh, uh, costs because I really believe those children should have been back with the uh, left-behind parent. Mm-hmm. It's, it certainly sounds like a very expensive proposition. It can be extremely expensive yeah. in and- uh, some cases. And I can't imagine some of the countries that you've gone into. And uh, I know we want to tell you, we like to talk about your escapades a little bit here because I know you've been yes. jailed and I know you've been yes. in very high-risk situations. Absolutely. Uh, probably the most high-risk uh, country is Yemen. As we all know, Yemen uh, is where uh, uh, terrorists are born and bred or at least trained. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in the early 1990s, had a case for a young mother from Tacoma, Washington in the United States that came in through Logan Clark and Logan Clark from California and I often uh, team up on those uh, on various cases around the world. He hang, comes to help me on mine. Keith, hang I on to that. I, I want to talk about that a little bit more. Hang on to that. Yeah, Let's sure. take a break. Private uh-huh. investigator Keith Chaferius will be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Australian P.I. Keith Shafarius is known as a child retrieval specialist. And today we're discussing parental abductions and Keith's recovery of those children. Uh, Keith, you were just talking about Logan Clark. Uh, I, I know Logan Clark. He's here from California, where I'm located. And you've worked with him for years, correct? Yes, I've worked with Logan for uh, over 20 years. And we've teamed up on various cases around the world. Uh, including the Yemen one in Poland, uh, Fiji, uh, and, and many other places as well. Logan was with me last year in uh, Abu Dhabi to get two children back to Australia from my own suburb in Australia, would you believe? Oh, my goodness. And then you also work with Alan Cardoza, who does all yes. the similar kinds of work. That's right. The last case I did with Alan was last year out of South Korea. We brought a little girl from South Korea uh, back to Australia. And Alan was on this show um, a few months ago uh, regarding runaway children in the United yes. States. Yes. So, okay. And so you were just talking about this case came to you from Logan. Yes, that's the one in Yemen. Uh, Logan uh, had that case. And that's the first one, first case we worked together for a young mother from Tacoma, Washington, where uh, the uh, father abducted the children out of uh, Washington State. Uh, through Canada and back to Yemen was an extremely dangerous case at the time and uh, would be today, even worse today if we were to go and I don't think I'd even attempt to go there today Mm. Uh, first was to try and get into the country the only way we could do that was to set up a movie production company uh, Mm. a sham, a sham movie production company and go into the country as... uh, uh, movie producers, the only other way in was to be invited in uh, by the government uh, at that time. And uh, Logan went in, our other team member went in through uh, North Africa, through Djibouti and across the Red Sea. When I attempted to go in, uh, I was arrested because some of my documentation wasn't in order and I was jailed uh, for a week and then deported hmm. uh, back back to Dubai, I got new documentation and a new visa through the uh, Yemenese embassy in Abu Dhabi and uh, believe it or not, three days later I went back into Yemen and uh, without even being noticed because I, I did have another name on that occasion when I went back. I do have a couple of different passports. And did, were you in disguise as well? Not no, they didn't recognise my face uh, at no. all. Different people on different time and uh, went in and uh, was able to stay. So and when when you were arrested, Keith, how were you treated? I was just locked in a a cell and treated fairly poorly. Uh, the cell was probably about eight feet uh, square. The only furniture was one wooden chair, so uh, if I wanted to sleep, I either had to sit on the chair, would you believe, and uh, or lie on the concrete floor. And uh, mm-hmm. the second day, I noted that there were some uh, probably homeless people at the airport, and uh, they were sleeping 
and the the jail cell was at the airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were dragging in these big uh, sheets of cardboard to sleep on. So mm-hmm. I watched where uh, one of them had hidden a sheet of cardboard, and when I was allowed out to go to the bathroom, I took one of those sheets of cardboard back with me into the cell. So I had uh, a little of something between me and the concrete. Yeah, and they allowed uh, you to do that. They allowed me to do that, yeah. yeah. And no food for the first two days. On the third day, I was given a small piece of cake and uh, a banana mm. and a bottle of water. So it was uh, fairly scary. Uh, yes. I'm a person who has no fear of anyone or anything. So each day it was a sort of, I wonder what can happen tomorrow. Today was not too bad. I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, and eventually I was deported. And did you have any fear? Back. Did you have any fear that you would end up staying there? I did initially, but uh, when they uh, told me they were deporting me, initially I was to be deported to India. Uh, I objected to that and they deported me back to uh, Dubai where I had flown in from. Uh, my ticket was back to Dubai. Uh, so, yeah, there was fear, and uh, I just hope the hell that uh, I didn't uh, be retained more than uh, necessary. And they did steal some money from me. Uh, I had uh, 1,000 US dollars in my luggage, which they had uh, custody of. When I uh, asked them about the money, they said there was none. I asked again. They said there was no money. I said, yes, there was, and they pointed uh, one of those old rusty AK-47s at me. <laughs> <laughs> I put my hands up and said, yes, there was no money. I believe you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> and, uh, it really changes your mind when that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, AK-47s do that. That's so, right. <laughs> so, um, so you were deported, and you got right back in. Weren't you concerned at all about going back into the country after once you'd been jailed? No, it was just uh, just a risk. Uh, that's probably an occupational hazard. Uh, those sort of things happen, and uh, I thought, well, yeah, that's more exciting getting back in this time than going in the first time. Uh, see what happens. And in the first time, it was because documentation and the visa wasn't right. Uh, the person who promised the visa. Uh, was on the aircraft with me because you can't get a visa anywhere. Uh, an Australian couldn't get a visa from anywhere. Only uh, when you arrived in Yemen, in Aden, and the uh, steward on the aircraft was going to get one for me, I bought my ticket from him, and uh, he was the first off the aircraft and disappeared. So I immediately uh, assumed there would be problems. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so you can't, you can't get a visa in advance then. You have to wait till you get there. That's right. That's... Uh, at, at that time it was, and I don't think you can get a visa at all now. And what year was that, Keith? Oh, 1993. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was 93, 94. Oh, yeah. So in, so in the last... We set up as a movie company, and Logan organized that, uh, a movie company uh, called Hollywood Capers. Uh, <laughs> I can Logan, see that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, I can Logan. see Logan in that role. That's yeah. <laughs> and uh, it got... Uh, took off really well and we had some interesting times there with uh, uh, various people. The Minister for the Interior uh, assisted us uh, because he'd come and we'd uh, give him free whiskey and when we had to start paying bribes to people or little gifts, we were being stopped by the military and the police and by immigration. We complained to uh, the Minister for the Interior who we'd been 
uh, befriended. And he said, I'll fix that. I'll come with you tomorrow. So he did. He spoke in Arabic to all these people and then uh, came back to the hotel. He said, don't you pay them any more? I will come every day and you pay me. <laughs> well, that's the way it works, I guess. That's the way it works. It uh, made it much simpler. And then he gave us a letter all in Arabic to show them and uh, did not have that uh, translated for a number of years. But it was the freedom of the city. Every time we showed that letter, we were just waved through. Interesting. Uh, absolutely uh, conned the government. Wow, that's amazing. So mm. so besides Yemen, what would be another um, high-risk situation you got involved in? High-risk, a uh, couple of cases out of Poland, uh, back when there were borders there before the uh, the EU. Uh, Logan was with me again on a, on a case into the north of Poland. Uh, I was robbed at gunpoint by someone who followed and looked like a police officer. And then when we were leaving Poland, uh, Logan was arrested and taken back and uh, we were able to pay a substantial bribe through contacts to the magistrate of the court who uh, had him delivered back to the border. Hmm. Uh, on the way back to the border, being delivered by the police, the police also stopped and asked for $1,000. I can't imagine the adrenaline rush you must feel when you get involved in these situations. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. It's, uh, I shouldn't say it's great, but it is entertaining. <laughs> yeah. More entertaining when you don't get arrested, I think. That's right. <laughs> okay. So, so what should a parent do if, if, you know, anybody that's involved in an international relationship, international marriage? Yes. Potentially is at risk when the marriage goes bad. That's right. Uh, they need to uh, just just be aware of, of what could happen and uh, you know, if the relationship with the other parent is volatile and there's arguments and you know, a history of uh, making threats about abduction, they should take all sorts of precautions, make sure they uh, you know, have a passport for the child or children, notify immigration of a possible uh, abduction, go to the court and uh, uh, get a court order or get custody of the child if possible before the child is taken. Mm -hmm. uh, because and, if, that, uh, if, if that order isn't in place, if the parents haven't resolved the custody issue, then there's really nothing anybody can do as far there's, as... There's really nothing anyone can do, but as, as soon as they uh, separate and uh, you know, just be cautious of... Uh, the other parent having access to the children, uh, weekend access or uh, a couple of days a month or whatever the access may be. Mm -hmm. They just need to be aware that uh, abduction uh, could happen. And are there other, besides just talking about removing them from the country, are there other warning signs? There's other warning signs. If uh, the abducting parent is... Uh, uh, well, for instance, one case we had uh, the uh, father who uh, took the children back to uh, an Arab country was known to have bought large uh, luggage cases. And uh, you know, that was an alert immediately when uh, someone alerted on that. So the mother went back to the court and tried to get uh, supervised access of the children by the uh, father. But uh, the court didn't give uh, supervised access uh, there was a witness who said there was he had no intention of doing that, 
and two weeks later he just uh, disappeared with the uh, with the children. And did were you able to retrieve these children? Yes. And how long did that take you to do that? What were the what were the circumstances of that situation? That was uh, fairly fairly quickly. Uh, it from when the children disappeared, it took four months to get them back, and uh, that was into a, uh, a European country uh, where they were taken to. Okay. Ger- Germany, actually. Mm. All right. Well, and, let's. Uh, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, let's make uh, another quick break. We'll be right back to discuss more on the parental abductions and tales of recovering children with private investigator Keith Shafarius. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today, Private Investigator Keith Chavarius, has been talking about Retrieving children from parental abductions. And Keith, I'm sorry, I interrupted you practically in the middle of a sentence. Um, you, you were just about to tell us. Yeah, I, I just uh, can't recall now where, okay. uh, <laughs> where we were to on that one. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Um, you were, I believe you were talking about, uh, uh, were you talking about the Arab uh, kidnapping? 
Yes, uh, I believe so. And uh, I think during the break we were discussing bribes too, and perhaps yes. I can go into some of the bribes. Uh, how do you how do you plan your budget for bribes? Well, really, you can't. But uh, when a bribe is asked for, you have to get back to the client and uh, discuss it with the client. Uh, one uh, one case I had that Logan joined up with me on was for a, a Swedish father whose child was abducted by the Filipina girl. Uh, he was residing in Australia, married in Australia. And when the little boy was about four or five, the marriage fell apart and she took the child back to uh, uh, Manila mm -hmm. for the Philippines and uh, just kept hiding. Logan spent some 27 weeks in the Philippines on the case. I spent about nine weeks in total over a period of about 12 months. But the father, being a Swedish citizen, uh, he was funded by the Swedish Legal Aid who have almost a bottomless pit of money. Mm -hmm. If they accept a case... They fund it right through to the end. But during the case, uh, the mother was moving the child around uh, to very secure compounds as they have them there, guarded by small armies of security men. But to get close, uh, we were introduced through our contacts to an army general, a general in charge of the uh, presidential intelligence section of the army. We met up with him and he was paid, he asked for and was paid a bribe of 125,000 US dollars. Um, really? The Swedish legal aid paid that. But from that day on, we flew everywhere in the president's helicopter. <laughs> so uh, you know, it was, uh, I don't say it was well worth it, but uh, we had great assistance from him. And in a case like that, Keith, do you just tell him up front what you're doing? The client or the... The, uh, the, uh, the government official. Well, the official, uh, he was, uh, he was crooked and we were introduced to him as someone who would help with the, uh, getting close and with the abduction or re-abduction or locating and uh, retrieving the child. Uh, so yes, they do know if someone's being paid, they certainly know what they're being paid for and the sort of information we require. That's just amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, um, the Hague Convention. Because that, that, I know that plays into it in some countries, but not all. Yes. Could you, say, could you describe what the Hague Convention is? It's a, a convention that's been uh, signed by uh, somewhere between 50 and 60 countries now. And most of the European countries are signatories to it. Most of the Arab countries or all of the Arab countries are not. And uh, they don't uh, take any notice at all to... Uh, uh, the convention or to court orders from other countries. Uh, if a child is abducted from a country and taken to a Hague Convention country, uh, the child should be returned to the country where it habitually resided for the previous 12 months. Now, that doesn't always happen, as I, I said earlier. Uh, for instance, uh, a client from Australia here last year, I... <coughs> helped him to try and find his son who had been missing for three years and was taken to Europe. The only way we found uh, the son eventually was uh, when it attained the age of six and was to be enrolled at school. The mother went to enroll the child in The Hague, would you believe, in Amsterdam, mm -hmm. and uh, the father was alerted. The father had it already. He had given up his uh, position in Australia as uh, Deputy Chief of Emergency Services 
and took on riding his bicycle all over Europe with placards on his back and uh, <clears throat> media releases to bring awareness he was looking for his child. And a couple of possible sightings happened. But uh, as soon as he was notified, he went straight back to The Hague. And it took some seven months before they would uh, allow him to bring that child back to Australia. He mm. was only allowed to see the child uh, uh, once a week initially and then uh, a little bit more. The mother was jailed and eventually uh, uh, extradited back to Australia to face uh, the abduction charges. She was charged uh, because it was abducted against a court order, which is a criminal offence, mm-hmm. and received a, uh, a custodial sentence. So, uh, and that, that's the Hague. And as I said earlier, only about uh, 2.5% of children abducted to Hague countries are uh, are returned. Well, I have um, I have a copy here of the Hague Convention, and and it essentially says um, it's it's actually quite long. Um, it is uh, article. Let's see how many articles. Forty five articles, and but the scope of it is. The objectives are to secure the prompt return of children wrongfully removed or retained in any contracting state and to ensure the rights of custody and of access to the law of one contracting state are effectively respected in the other contracting states. So as you mentioned, there are, you know, what, 50-some countries that are? Some 50-something countries are certain countries. And then, of course, the ones that aren't, you're just pretty much – at the will of whatever country they're in, pretty that's, much. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, Poland, yeah, Poland is a signatory, but last year, uh, or the year before, 2010, I had a case from Australia where uh, uh, a Greek Australian married a Polish girl who was in Australia to learn English, and when the child was 11 months old, she took the child back to Poland and he went through the Hague Convention, but they refused to return the child because they said Poland uh, uh, Poland had better education than Australia and all, all sorts of things that were hmm. incorrect, uh, that the child had started to learn Polish and couldn't speak English, and uh, it, it just went on and on, and they just blocked the return of that child. And it was too dangerous. Uh, I went to Poland, had a look at the case, and it was just too dangerous uh, the way the child was being guarded because they did suspect the uh, father would come and uh, retrieve the child. So you didn't take that case, ultimately? I didn't take that case. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ultimately didn't uh, well, didn't get the child back uh, for that reason of the security around the child. Right, right. Well, there is a resource. Uh, it was a very just... wealthy family. Mm. Okay. There, there is a resource that if there's anybody listening on this to the show today regarding uh, parental abductions, if you know, if you think your child could be abducted, if you know somebody that has uh, an abduction, possible abduction situation, or has been involved in that, there's a U.S. Department of Justice resource that is really fabulous. It's about 158 pages, and it's called a Family Resource Guide on International Parental Kidnapping. And it includes um, all kinds of answers to questions. It includes the uh, the Hague Convention articles. It includes what to do 
if you think there's going to be an abduction, it tells what to do if there's been an abduction. It's a very, very comprehensive um, document that would be beneficial to anybody throughout the world, not just people in the United States. And it gives, and it also gives all the resources of who you can contact for help. So I thought I'd just pass that on. So, um, Keith, what is another situation that uh, you thought was um, particularly worthy of note in your career? Uh, another situation, uh, and I'll just go into another case history uh, two years ago here from Australia where uh, there was no indication whatsoever that the child would be abducted. There appeared to be no rift in the family between the mother and father. The little boy had just turned two and uh, the mother had never been away from him for one night. And it was agreed that she go with her sister to the Gold Coast on Australia, in Australia to have a night away over the weekend with her sister. When she rang on the Saturday night, she was away to see how the child was. There was no answer. And uh, she became uh, concerned, went back home early the next morning. The house was emptied out. She spoke to the aunt who said uh, that the father, who was Greek, had returned uh, and taken the child back to Cyprus. It was a real shock to the mother because there was no indication whatsoever. And Cyprus is a signatory to the Hague Convention, but uh, they would not go looking for the child. She engaged my services to find the child and uh, the child was returned uh, almost uh, nine months later under the Hague Convention. Uh, She went to Cyprus and was handed the child uh, and that's just getting into the Hague again and how some abductions, there's no forewarning, none at all. Uh, the father had owned the house, their home where they were living uh, when they married, but uh, unbeknown to her, he had sold the house but agreed to rent the house back from the new owner. Mm. Uh, so he had the money and he could just pack up and go. Just a parent's worst nightmare. I just, mm. you know, put your... Absolutely. Your head in that situation, it just must be horrible. Um, okay, so um, there must be some issues with, uh, you must have to deal with some issues in reunification with those children. Have you have you been involved in that part? Uh, yes, uh, just reuniting the children. I always take uh, the parent with me, the aggrieved parent with me uh, on those cases, so the child immediately or hopefully immediately uh, recognise the mother or the father that uh, I have with me and it's always that person who confronts the child and takes the child. For a stranger such as I to confront a child would be more trauma to them and trauma that can be avoided. Now, a case I did in uh, out of Poland. For, before you get before you get into that, we need do need to take another break. So, uh, take, stay tuned for more from PI Keith Shafarius. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Australian private investigator Keith Shafarius has been filling us in on details of recovering abducted children from their non-custodial parent. And we were just talking about what happens when the child and the parent are reunited. And, um, Keith, you were just saying that you always take the parent with you. That's correct. And uh, children tend to forget fairly quickly, too. Uh, For instance, two children that were abducted from Brisbane, Australia and taken to Poland in uh, in 1990, uh, they had been gone for about a year and when the mother confronted her little seven-year-old son, he went to push her away as a stranger and uh, he had never spoken anything but English when he was in Australia. He had forgotten English in that mm. year and could only speak Polish. Mm. But when he realised it was his mum, he uh, uh, wanted to go with her and on that occasion, the, his sister had been separated from him in Poland, going to another school. When we went to the school, she became hysterical. She was 11 years of age. Her father had told her all sorts of nasty things and, in fact, had told her that her mother had died in a car accident uh, Mm. and that she would never see her mother again. And it was quite a shock to her. And uh, they needed counselling. And both of those children are now in their late teens, early 20s, and they still need some counselling from time to time because of that trauma in their life. How long did their father have them? For uh, In Poland for one year. For one year. And yeah. even then, um, one year is a long time in a child's life. It is a long time, and he wasn't with them. He just left them with his mother, with their grandmother, and went off uh, on his uh, drinking and uh, with other women uh, it was done in, for spite, just to spite the mother. And uh, he followed back to Australia after we came back and assaulted one of the children and, uh, mm. uh, and kicked the mother in the stomach and all sorts of things. Ended up in jail here in Australia and was deported back to Poland. 
Mm. Amazing. Just amazing. So, mm. so what are the, that's, is that an extreme example or, and are other situations you've been involved in? Have, that's have uh, probably compatible? the most, that's yeah. probably the most extreme, uh, example of uh, further abuse uh, of the children and the children's rights. Uh, the children have settled down now and I'm in contact with them. Uh, they have uh, both have good professions and getting on with their life. The, uh, the boy was, as I say, he was seven at the time. He really rebelled uh, when he came back and uh, just couldn't fit back into the family, uh, family life. But uh, the day he turned uh, 14, uh, he did a complete flip around. Uh, he put his arms around his mother and apologized to her for all the wrong things he did hmm. and became a different person overnight, uh, probably because of the counseling he was having. Oh, that's, and, uh, it was that's a great, wonderful. Great lad. Yeah, some wonderful stories. And uh, a lot of these children, as I said earlier, they do keep in contact with me and I get to know their progress in life. Uh, Went to a girl's 21st birthday party last year and she said, Keith, without you, I would never have known where I would have been today. I'm sure that's true. Mm. I'm sure that's true. And, and you had, you mentioned a couple of cases that you had done just for the expenses, uh, working yes. for free, pro bono, just for yes. the expenses. And what were the circumstances of those two cases? They, uh, were cases where, uh, they were being abused, uh, not being cared for by the parent who had taken them away and were just dumped with relatives. And uh, just you know, the welfare and the well-being of those children weren't, uh, being, uh, weren't, uh, weren't considered. Uh, one child had uh, almost lost the ability to speak because of the trauma, mm. Didn't, wouldn't go to school, wouldn't speak at school. And uh, when I did my research and due diligence, I just felt so uh, so sorry for those children. And uh, was, normally I don't try to get uh, emotionally involved uh, on those cases, but uh, those couple of cases uh, I sort of left myself go a little bit and uh, decided at any cost to myself the uh, uh, parent of my client didn't have the resources Mm -hmm. So I did uh, the cases uh, just for the airfares and uh, some accommodation. Well, the cases have to pull at your heartstrings. There's no question about that. Well, they do. But uh, to get emotionally involved, uh, I wouldn't be able to do some of the cases or do the things I do to, uh, to uh, bring those children back. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's amazing. Do you have any words of wisdom for parents that might be listening to this show and possible have an abduction situation just keep your head up keep smiling keep praying that uh, one day you'll be reunited uh, reunited with those children it will happen uh, if not before when the child reaches its teens and can make its own decision make its own mind up where it wants to be you'll see that child again and that happened in australia here where uh, Two children were abducted out of Australia by a Malaysian prince who was the father and he just hid them in Malaysia. And mm. uh, as soon as they were old enough, they came back to see the mother and uh, a great reunion was had. And you know, then there's uh, filling in that big gap in their life uh, uh, of 
talking and I guess tears and laughter and whatever, just uh, rebuilding a life that's been lost. What percentage, Keith, of your cases are babies and toddlers versus older children? Most of the children are uh, under school age, uh-huh. so you know, under four or five years of age, probably uh, 60 or 70%. Uh, the others are up to the age of uh, 11 or 12. I see. So, yeah, um, you don't. You often don't have teenagers being abducted. No, very, very seldom uh, are teenagers. Teenagers are capable of running away and uh, uh, you know, letting people know they were abducted. So it's not uh, not very often teenagers. Well, you know, when we were on the break uh, a while ago, we were talking about a situation you had where you followed a child to South Africa and they uh, found them involved in human trafficking. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that uh, was for a mother from uh, the United States. Uh, she had divorced her uh, Iranian husband and uh, the child was to go back to the United States with the mother. But before she could get the child... Uh, the father sold her, the, the 11-year-old daughter, into a child uh, prostitution, child trafficking uh, uh, situation or mm-hmm. ring in uh, Eritania, just down there below Morocco. And uh, she engaged uh, someone over there to find the child. The child was located and uh, the trafficking ring wanted to sell the child back to the mother for 15000 US dollars, but a deal was negotiated and the mother got the child back for 5000 US dollars now luckily the child hadn't been used for prostitution but when the uh, investigator went in to get the child they noted that there were at least 20 other children girls there uh, the youngest being about 12 years of age that uh, were being held and some of the mothers were being held against their will as well Mm-hmm. And to make matters worse, the, uh, it's believed that the police were involved in, uh, in that uh, human trafficking ring. Oh, they were. They were participating. Oh, yes, yes. And the girl that you were involved with, she, you said she was 12 years old? Yes, 11, actually. 11, 11. years old. Mm. And she was. And what state did you say she was abducted out of? Or did you say? I, I didn't say. Uh, I didn't, uh, yeah. don't want to give that information. Yeah, that's okay. Mm. So... That, that's amazing. And how did you track um, the girl to South Africa? Uh, it was uh, someone else who tracked the girl there to uh, South Africa, uh, West Africa, and uh, I became aware of it, uh, of, of that case through another investigator. I see. And unfortunately, that, uh, that exists as well. It's amazing to think that a, a parent would sell their child into... Um, essentially slavery, but uh, it happens all the time. Keith, you've been a delightful guest. I appreciate so much you staying up in the middle of the night and being a part of the program. Uh, thank you so much, and it's nice meeting you online as well. Uh, let me just mention my featured sponsor of the week is PI Museum. If you'd like to learn more about the history of detectives, spies, and private eyes, go to www.pimuseum.com. And I'm sure Keith's books will be included in uh, Ben Harold, the curator's voluminous artifacts as soon as they get published. Uh, next week is a California PI, Olivia Robinson, with attorney Mark Mermelstein on resources for fraud victims. So again, 
Thank you, Keith. Tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.